If you wanna learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7, Brave New Radio. We got managers, producers, record labels, concert promoters galore. You never know what's in store on music, biz, one on and Every Wednesday at 8 p.m. This is your professor, David Kirk-Philp. We are listening to Music Biz 101 and more with from? Dr. From Nashville, the Tennessee State. Ah, yes. That's right. We are here with Dr. Esteban. Me. Mm, that's right. We're having a great show. We're having a great time here in Nashville, Tennessee at the Music Biz Association Convention Year Lord 2017. That's right. Yeah, having a great time. And we have a couple people here. Obviously, you already heard Linda Blossbaum. Linda Blossbaum right here. We're going to hype There we go. Good to have you here, Linda. And then we also have Nate the Hawk, Nathaniel Hawkins. He is our producer engineer. He's doing everything for us today. Nate the Hawk. There we go. Our listeners should know Nate the Hawk. He was the producer of the show for, how long did you do it? For a year? For a semester? A semester. A semester, but it was very good. It was an unforgettable semester. Oh, thank We've you. We've never forgotten you. But we want to give some thanks real quick before we get going with our interview. Okay. We want to give thanks to the Music Business Association for giving us the space into which we are speaking at Nashville, Tennessee. I room wish they would have included a few winter coats for us. It is a very chilly, air-conditioned room. 90 degrees outside, but... A little chillier than that inside. Yes. We want to tell you, by the way, go to musicbiz101wp.com, sign up for our newsletter, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at musicbiz101wp. Our podcast is on iTunes and SoundCloud. We also want to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc., and White Hat Management. You see, Linda, with artists like Charlie Puth and Dave Matthews and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when it's good for you. And we want to give thanks to Rob Fusari for all of his su support in helping us get here. Rob is a Grammy winner who has also signed a status change. He helped write songs with Lady Gaga. And so he, that's where he is. He wrote the fame, that album. He produced of the course. fame with Lady Gaga and Paparazzi was their really big hit together. Wow. So, um, and because of him, he's a grad of our program and he helped, uh, made a donation to help pay for the hotel for a bunch of our students who are here. So thank yeah. you, Rob. And at the end of this, we're gonna hear Don't Let Love Down by Rob Fusari. We also wanna remind you, by managing your band, sixth edition, comes out June 6th. Go to amazon.com and get it right now. Now, of course, we wanna go turn our attention to Nate the Hawk, who's doing a, going to do the quick intro of who Linda Blossbaum is. Then he's gonna get into the third degree, and this is gonna be the best 25 minutes of our lives. One, two, three, ready, so go. Linda Blossbaum is the Senior Director of Industry Relations at SoundExchange. In that role, she drives awareness and visibility for SoundExchange across multiple channels related to performance and music entertainment. Her extensive work with the content industry has allowed her to gain a deep understanding of the value of artistic contributions in both economic and cultural terms. Prior to joining SoundExchange, Blossbaum served as an independent consultant for recording artists through her agency, LBB Creative Strategies, and ran the Warner music group office in Washington, D.C. for six years. She holds a bachelor's in communications from American University where she professes about creative rights. Go on, Nate the Hawk. <laughs> what do you do as an artist and industry relations director? Every day is different. I have to say, uh, when I get up and drive across that bridge from Northern Virginia into D.C., I'm not quite sure what's going to be coming my way as an artist and industry re relations person in, in Washington for Sound Exchange. Um, primarily, it is making sure that 
um, rights owners and artists know who we are and what we do at Sound Exchange, and they get themselves registered to get uh, the royalty stream that they're deserving um, for digital rights of their performances. Um, I split my time for Sound Exchange between DC and Nashville, Tennessee. So oh, really? actually, okay. today is a perfect day. I started it in DC and I'm sitting here in Nashville. Um, it's a super easy commute um, down here as often as I can just because it's such a center of the music industry and it's such a creative, explosive town that um, it's really important for Sound Exchange um, to make sure that folks in Nashville know what we do and definitely are a part of our ecosystem. Do you guys have an office here? We don't. You're looking at it. We're looking oh, really? at it as okay. of now. 2017. This is, uh, <laughs> um, it, you know, but again, we're a technology company. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of people in this town would actually tell you they think I, I'm here full time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I definitely try to get here as often as I can. It's a great place. Um, highly recommend those who have not been to Nashville to just get down here and just drink in a little bit of that creative spirit because there's no place like it, even in the industry where there's lots of great talent. Um, so I really enjoy the time I spend in Nashville just because it lets me, you know, really come, you know, face to face with the actual creators um, the bands and the artists that I find down here particularly in Nashville but it's true anywhere you know when they're just starting out the sound exchange royalty stream is, is critically important to them and is a big part of their monthly income so it makes me very proud of what I get to do and and why I get up and do it every day being in a field that is traditionally strayed from a formal education how does your degree help you in your professional career well it's funny if you add up um, my communications bachelor's degree with my JD. And notice I don't lead with the fact that I have a JD. I'm a lawyer by, um, by my educational lawyer? practice, a communications lawyer. So I went to Catholic University in DC and we had a, um, specialty, a specialty certificate that you could graduate with um, that really focused on communications law, primarily mm. kind of intersecting with the FCC mm. and the regulatory process there. Um, and that specialty landed me on Capitol Hill where I was actually writing the the bills that were being considered in a lot of the technology and entertainment fields. Mm -hmm. So when you um, did that, would you work for a particular Congress person? I worked or? for the committee. So it, okay. it, there's there's two avenues that you can take when you work on Capitol Hill. You can either work for a personal office for a particular member, or you can work for one of the committees. And then you kind of answer to the chairman of the committee um, or the ranking member, depending on which side hired you. Um, but you also kind of do staff all of the members of the committee at once. So when I was working at the Energy and Commerce Committee um, on communications issues, you know, I, my boss was, um, was the chairman of the full committee. But then again, if any one of really all the 59 members of the committee had an idea or a question that they needed a kind of substantive expertise in, they would come our way and talk to the councils. So um, while, while it was definitely the chairman that I reported to and who was responsible for the budget that paid my salary, at a committee hearing, for example, you know, any one of the 59 members could, could ask you a question and you really were staffed to all of them. Um, mm -hmm. and, and very kind of more of a substantive, very non-political, very substantive. Um, when you're a counsel on Capitol Hill, you're very substantive with just kind of factual answers as to, you know, what is what is in the legislation, how that might affect industry A or industry B or individual A or individual B. Um, it was fantastic. It was a great place to kind of mm -hmm. educate yourself about kind of all the, the industries and, and um, individuals that were uh, took an interest in the legislation we were writing. And uh, what a great kind of university for these members. Any question they had or anything they wanted to learn about, you could kind of ask mm -hmm. the experts from different agencies or different companies to come in and, and help guide you in the right direction. 
Um, so how did my degree get me there? I probably wouldn't have gotten to be a counsel, I'm doing the air quotes, uh, for the committee had I not gotten that, that law degree. Um, that's true of many positions in Washington. You'll meet a lot of people that wouldn't be doing what they were doing without the law degree, but yeah. then they would probably instantly say, I'm not a real lawyer. So like when somebody calls me for help with a, you know, a traffic ticket or a you know, family right. dispute or something, I can't really help them at all. But uh, that's true of many lawyers in DC. Uh, one day I got a phone call from one of the companies that was lobbying um, our committee on a certain piece of legislation and I kind of was so rude to this poor guy. I said, I don't have any languages I need to say this to you in, but you're not getting that provision in the bill. And, and he politely said, I'm not calling about the bill. I'm wondering if you will come have coffee with me. And <laughs> I said, oh, downtown, off the hill. Um, and that subsequently led me to go work for my first um, my first lobbying experience, which, which was with um, Universal, that it then became NBC Universal. Mm. And then I got a call. I get, there was always kind of poignant phone calls that led me to my next step. I was lobbying for um, NBC Universal. It was owned by GE at the time. And I was home on maternity leave with my second child. And I got a call from Edgar Bronfman, who I knew very mm. well from his reputation, that Hi, Linda, this is Edgar Bronfman, and I was hoping you could come to New York and talk with me. And I, I literally said this out loud to him, and he'll, he'll remind you of it. <laughs> I said, I will, but I don't think I have any clothes that fit. And I really meant that because I just had this baby, and like, I was like, you know, had other things on my mind. But um, he was kind enough to, to offer me the opportunity to work for him as he um, took Warner Music Group Public um, oh. as its own company back in 2005. And so that was just an amazing experience and a great entree into the music industry. And then I just got the music bug and I mean, always had the music bug, but it was just wonderful to kind of, you know, work for a major music label and kind of um, represent them in Washington, DC. And again, I used the law degree every once in a while, but you know, then really felt like I almost got an MBA for free from, from, working, right. from working with that company. Um, and then uh, a few years later, after working with another Fortune 50 company for a bit, after Edgar left uh, Warner, I, uh, I just realized that there was this creative spirit out there that wasn't necessarily getting a lot of airtime on Capitol Hill or in mm -hmm. Washington. You kind of had big tech and big Hollywood fighting about kind of high profile legislation, but nobody was kind of as vocally representing the individual creators, you know, or the individual musicians, the guy playing the drums, the guy taking the picture, the guy writing the screenplay. There was less of that and more kind of big corporate interests that were pitted against each other. And I, um, I voluntarily left the corporate world and said I wanted to represent those voices that maybe needed a little help or direction or just a big mouth in Washington to help them uh, get heard. And so I started my own company in 2013 called LBB Creative Strategies and really only wanted clients that were interested in helping the creative artists out there. Mm -hmm. And luckily, um, Sound Exchange was on my doorstep first on my very first day and offered because it just was so simpatico with what yeah. Sound Exchange does for artists and individuals. And um, I feel very fortunate that, you know, that, that we could work together and, and we do every day now. There's not a day I get up that I don't get to talk to an artist mm -hmm. or one of our stakeholders. And, uh, and we're really proud of what we do, you know, for, for all of the ecosystem that gets to participate through Sound Exchange. So do you work for Sound Exchange or do you work for your own company? I did work for my own company for two years as an outside consultant. Okay. And then um, we just became more, I don't know, just more appropriate, I think, mm -hmm. at one point. Um, our dear CEO, Mike Cuppy, said, you know, you're working too many hours, like you might as well just come on in-house. And so um, 
I, I did, and it's been you know the greatest decision of my life to actually now you know, work intricately with the team that that goes out and 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 educates people about this royalty stream that really isn't that old. Um, you know, the history of Sound Exchange, we're only 15 years old. Mm-hmm. So this is a, every day I hear calls coming into our call center where people think it's ASCAP or BMI or one of the publishing PROs. And we still, to this day, are ex- educating people every single call mm-hmm. about what we do. And this is a whole different bucket of money. So if you're a singer-songwriter, you get your songwriter royalties, but you also get your singer royalties in the digital area, and um, and that's just welcome news to a lot of folks. And um, so we really, there's still, remarkably, after 15 years, a lot of education that needs to get done about sound exchange and, and getting people under the tent. Um, that being said, we've got more payees than ever, and and more people that know about us than ever, and more people quitting their day jobs because of their sound exchange royalties that can, I just had talked to a comedian last month who said, I quit my day job, I'm a full-time comedian thanks to the royalties I'm making mm. through my serious feeds on their comedy mm. channels. So those stories are, are really, you know, what, what keeps us going and, and, um, and motivated to do mm-hmm. what we do every day. Mm-hmm. Is the black box money still, I don't want to call it black box in a negative term, but sure. there, there was, when I first started learning about sound exchange, back around 2013, right. when I was getting into education, I, I went to the new, new Music Seminar, and guys from Sound Exchange sure. were talking to everybody and saying, there's this all this money here that we want to give to people, but we can't find you. It's the best job in the world. I mean, yeah. it, although there's yeah. always a little distrust that comes with it. Hi, I'm Linda, and I have money for you. And they're uh-huh. like, just you know, just give me your bank account number, and I'll make sure, you know, yeah. there's a little bit of distrust. Um, but yes, there, there, there is, and there's a way that we will keep that money for you know, a requisite amount of time. Um, it's not forever, so we always tell people, like, please get in. Get in even before you have that great big hit because that money will be waiting for you. Um, it, there was a time where we had a lot of it, like you mm-hmm. said, and that you might be referring to that time. And it seems like that would be a great problem to have. We have all these extra dollars that you can sit on, and, and it's not because that's not our money. Sound Exchange mm-hmm. is very clear that we are the steward of that money that the that the services pay through us to get to the artists and the rights owners. So, you know, our perfect day is when everybody's registered and everybody's getting every dime that, that's due to them. Um, because we, you know, we obviously have a, a small ad- administrative fee that comes off the top of that, but we're not a profit company. You know, we're going to be, you know, passing that money along to those that are due. And if for some reason there is money left over at the end of the year, um, we do kind of fairly allocate that across the the payees that have been in the system and, and have been participating. So um, we don't do that quickly. It's it's uh, it's different from year to year, but we do want to make sure that um, that we just don't kind of waste a lot of that money either. We don't just mm-hmm. want it sitting in a big fat box that gets fatter. We want to make sure that the actual mm-hmm. payees from Sound Exchange are able to participate in that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's like it's like a nice nice bonus. A little bit, a little bit, know? yeah. Sometimes we yeah. tell people don't you know don't think that's it's it's a one time payment um, per year usually well usually once a year it's not it's, again it's kind of as it as it becomes an issue um, so we can't people can't shouldn't budget for that that mm-hmm. would be the every check for forever and all time but, um, but it would also depend bit. on on who you are like uh, Springsteen would get more than correct me. <laughs> Well, I don't know what kind of year you're having, but uh, I, this <laughs> is a good year, you know. <laughs> yes, it's allocated Not kind of appropriate for yeah. the for the amount that Makes they participate. Sense. But, um, but the best news about digital streaming is that everybody can participate. I mean, I I just came last week from a 
um, a Christian music um, honors, the GMA honors, and there's a genre where you know there's plenty of channels out there, and they need to fill up 24 hours of programming mm. with with Christian music in this example. And you know, so if you're kind of you know an average band in a genre that still has to fill up all those channels on series, mm. you can make a decent living uh, just on your mm. sound exchange royalties, just on your digital radio royalties. And so that's really changed, and that's actually great news for those genres that that might not have room on the FM dial, the traditional, you know, real estate that you had to land on one of those decimal points or you wouldn't get played. Now anybody can get played. Mm. You know, we have over 2,500 services that pay into yeah. us every month. And that's everything from Sirius and Pandora to, you know, to your university and to folks in their garage. I mean, they all pay into us. Mm -hmm. And so somebody, mm -hmm. there's music out there for, and, and spoken word and comedy um, for everybody. And so we, uh, we think it's a you know all of digital radio is just such an amazing opportunity to get heard whether you're Springsteen or you're the next Springsteen that nobody's heard of yet. It's it's frustrating to me to get musicians to even register. It's free, but it's easy. I know. They, <laughs> I mean we have a very large jazz department for our university and I mean prominent players. So I think it was 2 years ago that I went into their September meeting and asked, you know, out of 50 in the room, how many know about sound exchange, um, mm -hmm. you know, non-terrestrial is probably better friends of jazz than terrestrial radio is, except for NPR. And there's probably money waiting for many of you, and I think two of them knew about it. So I gave them all this information, and then when in two years later, how many of you have done this? You know, it's just so frustrating to me because I, I did it, I don't know what it took. Ten sure. minutes, you know, less it, than it, that. It's not. It's it's less than that if you yeah. know what you're doing, and yeah. and it's free. Like like I mentioned, um, it's just really just a hump that a lot of people have to get over. The yeah. good news is, for example, we go to a lot of co festivals and conferences throughout the year. Um, South by Southwest is probably the sure. largest and most prominent one we do. And when we used to go down there, we'd make these big banners and we would list all the bands that we had money waiting for. Oh wow! And we'd put them up all over town. And you know, now certainly in the age. Of, of smartphones, people will snap figure, pictures yeah. and send it to the, the folks that they might know. But people could just walk by some of these venues and say, wait a minute, I know that guy, or that's me, or, you know, and, yeah. and, and they right. would have money waiting for them. This year, I believe, was the first year where we actually had fewer names than the year before. So, right. oh, and this is everybody who's performing yeah. at South By. These are not nobody bands. These right. are bands that right. have gotten the acclaim to get themselves on stage at South By. And uh, we have, so we're hoping that it's becoming kind of the more standard initial paperwork that you fill out. Mm -hmm. um, when you become an artist and you mm -hmm. start, you know, mm -hmm. putting your repertoire into things, yeah. and um, and we say that all the time. We try to get folks in the door before they even release their first record because yeah. that when that first dime is paid, we want to be, be able to get it to the right person. I always use Megan Trainer as the biggest example, and it was probably at this conference a couple of years ago. Nobody knew who Megan Trainer was, mm -hmm. and she had this one song all about that bass, and suddenly she's a household name. And yeah. you know, that very first dime that got paid from the services into us, we then could find her and make sure that it goes right to her and it doesn't sit in a black box for any right. amount of time. Um, and so that's you know one reason we really, you know, there's some folks on our team that that will look at the, the you know, up and coming charts and the you know the heat seekers and things like that to see kind of what the next big band mm -hmm. is and we want to make sure that they're in the system so that they get their money right away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, from my understanding, it's still tricky for you guys to collect money from terrestrial radio stations. Is that still a viable source of 
uh, revenue for artists and is that still worth fighting for in the future and the present times? It is. It is still a very viable source of revenue. We know that because <coughs> most countries in the, the world pay pay that royalty. So we know how much money you know is at stake when it comes to FM radio. There's a couple of reasons why it's really important. One is it's just plain dollars and cents. I mean, they're using um, the content of artists every day to sell advertising on their radio stations. They're making $15 billion a year plus in profit. There's a lot of uh, solid factual math reasons that it just makes sense that they should pay. On the same side of the coin, you've got competitors like the digital radio competitors that are going head to head, you know, with I don't want to single out iHeart, but that's just typically the the kind of you know the the webcasting version of terrestrial radio that most people are most familiar with. Um, you could argue that Pandora and Sirius XM are competing with you know with them on, on on the digital scene and also on the FM dial. So that actually drives down the rates that we might be able to get from all of the services because they will come into those rate proceedings and argue that they are competing with a service that pays nothing. And so when we're looking at kind of what the fair rate is for the distribution of digital music, we always have that zero that, that lines up next to the to the terrestrial piece. So yes, it's tricky to get paid. We have to change the law to get paid for that, um, even though, like I said, it is law kind of all around the world. Those countries that do have that law will collect terrestrial radio money for U.S. artists, but they will not pay us for it because we don't have the reciprocal law here. So they kind of hold on to it. The, the French will collect it. They'll be happy to collect it. And then they kind of feed it into, you know, their local you know, arts and ministry cultural center or whatever it happens to be in whatever country we're talking about. And, um, and until the day we pass a reciprocal law here in the United States, that money will not come into the United States. So it's, it's real money. And it's, it's actually just just emotionally very sad for U.S. artists to kind of go abroad and hear their music all over the radio and know they're not getting paid for that just because they're not getting paid for it here. So there is legislation in the House of Representatives that's been introduced to this Congress called the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act, and it would require the terrestrial radio to pay out those royalties. Um, it has been introduced in various iterations in the past. Um, we're very hopeful, and um, I think with each passing year, with all of these competitive services and some direct deals being cut by the, by terrestrial broadcasters, to just to name a few, um, we hope that that landscape has changed enough that we might be able to get that legislation through this year. But it's a it's a tall order, and politically, it's extremely difficult because think about the nature of broadcasters, they're in every single congressional district. And how do those members of Congress get elected? They have to go home and they have to run for election on radio and TV stations. So, you know, there, there tends to be a very formidable opponent politically in Washington when you have to go up against the broadcasters. And again, as big as the music industry is, it's not like we have a tower in every congressional district like the broadcasters do. So it's been a decades-long fight that, uh, that continues. And... Uh, we hope not for too much longer, but it is still, as you said, tricky to get paid for terrestrial radio. And that's, uh, that's putting us at a disadvantage as a country. You know, the economic impact that that has on the U.S. is, is very real. So we'll continue to fight. And, uh, and Sound Exchange would have a much bigger pie if we had that money in there. But hope springs eternal. It's a, it's a shame because we were one of the few industrial countries in the world that don't, you know, 
Exactly right. The company we keep in this particular area is terrible, and nobody wants to necessarily be associated with these countries on anything, much less paying their artists and their creators for work, you know. It's like Iran, North Korea. North Korea. Yeah. Yeah. I forget what the... uh, It's changes. It goes back and forth. Well, and what's happening, too, is a lot of countries are like, well, the U.S. isn't going to do it, and that's the bulk of our what we're mm-hmm. playing on our right it's like well why should we bother to have this right you know it just mm-hmm. didn't and it's kind of a race to the bottom which is really right. sad when you think about you know the importance of intellectual property in this country i will speak for a moment from the radio side only because not that i'm taking sides but mm-hmm. i was in radio for three years in advertising sales and when the fair play fair what was it fair, fair pay fair pair yes fair, fair play pay, pay, fair pay. yes yes, yes. Yeah. um when that happened and that began uh, back in 2010 or something, 2009 when that started, um, they were telling us make sure we tell our congressperson, oh sure, do uh, do not vote for this law because what what it will do to us, especially local radio, which is where I worked, um, it will help put us out of business because that money is going to have to come from somewhere and it will come from we can't charge that much higher for ad sales. Of course, this was during the re- the Great Recession, right? And they they were scaring us into. Um, don't vote for this thing because then you're going to lose your job. So it was interesting, and I'm not again sure. taking no, sides, but why they would do that. from from especially from you being a lawyer and understanding both sides of the equation. Um, just like sometimes the label and the artist, they're always fighting. You know, it's always right. important to understand both sides. And I, again, I'm not sure. And and what the biggest challenge for the music industry is in this particular fight is, I mean, I could sit here right now and give you all the details of why that's not true and why that wouldn't have put local radio out of business and that there were there were thresholds of what you had to make. And really only 20% of the radio broadcasters would probably have to pay a significant amount of money because there were all these kind of criteria put in for, for non-commercials and for under a certain um, profit threshold. But I can't put that on a bumper sticker. And that's yeah, one reason yeah. that it was very hard for the music industry. I, mean, I can sit here and do this, but it's very complicated. And you guys are already, you know, looking at your watches because it's too, you know, it's, it's very detailed where broadcasters say, this will put us out of business, period. This is, this, is, this is a new tax, I'm doing the air quotes again, that we never right. had to pay before, period. Those are amazing bumper stickers that are super easy to understand, particularly if you are responsible for legislating across you know, every issue area under the sun. You know, it's, it's, you're worried about you know, healthcare and the environment and energy and, all, and, and suddenly you have this music licensing issue and it's to master kind of the details of how this actually wouldn't put every radio station out of business. It wouldn't really put any radio station out of business. And I say that working for sound exchange um it's just complicated and when you can say you know in a, in a nice concise way it's easy to understand well this is just going to put us out of business it's it's tough to combat that and it's definitely tough to combat that in every single district around the country um that has a personal relationship with the member making that decision so it's really it is a very political issue for that reason um doesn't mean we're not right and doesn't mean we're going to stop fighting for it but you know it's just you know i think in their hearts members are like well that just makes plain sense but then when they have to vote for it you know there's a lot of things that come into play right so well it it sounds right that you came to play because (laughs) you gave one heck of an interview pardon my almost bad french let's give big thanks to linda thank you very much thanks for having me it's great to have you nate the hawk thank you very much for getting her on the show and nate the hawk thank you for reading your intro and asking your questions. Nate the Hawk. Yes. Yes, we really appreciate having Nathaniel Hawkins here. And we want to thank Dr. Esteban Marconi for all well, he brought to this. Thank you, and also my co-host. Yes, who is I, who am the Mo-host, and my am um, Professor David Kirk Philp. We have been listening to Music Piece 101 and more on Bravery Radio 80.7 WPSC. Go to the podcast. 
uh, on, uh, where are we, SoundCloud and iTunes. Mm -hmm. And uh, keep listening every Wednesday night, live radio at 8 p.m. Unless it's taped, then it's not live. But instead, at the end of every show, we do not say hello. That would be silly, Linda. You know what we say at the end of every show? What do you say at the end we of every show? We say, at the end of every show, we say, adios! I can't remember when Looked at me and cried Said something broke inside of you My best friend Whatever come my way You know I'm yours until the end